0: Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by a guest speaker. Did anyone catch that humongous matte mustache on that early in that video? Wow, that was a sight to see. uh, for those of you who don't know, the Great Commission Fund, which was referred to in that video, is again just a way we fund our international workers who work globally to preach the gospel and also to serve those in need in those communities. So we hope that you'd consider to give that this Christmas season for that. Um, I wanted to give you uh, kind of a li- life update for myself. Uh, you'll see this picture. I recently got engaged. As you can tell, I'm not the most photogenic person uh, <laughs> with my eyes closed, but we're just super excited for what that means and um, just excited for planning and just wanted to share that with you as, as a church family. Well, um, I forgot to say welcome to those on live stream. We're, we're glad that you're here. Well, many of us uh, would agree that there are very few people who get into the window or get to see some of the weirdest quirks about ourselves. One of the more unique quirks about myself is that I have the ability to turn a simple fix into a long-lasting problem. (laughs) And I'm sure many of you here do as well. And let me give you an example of this. Um, I've always had terrible eyesight since elementary school, which is why I wear these things. And one day uh, during, uh, I think I was in middle school, just, or just about to step into middle school, um, I decided to go to sleep like I always did. And like I always do, I forgot to take off my glasses, which I'm sure for those of us who wear glasses, it's always hard to remember to take them off. And one day I woke up from my, from my nap time and I realized that I had broken my glasses into two. And I was devastated and super sad and just super, just, ah, just, uh, just couldn't even imagine wh- what that meant. One, um, which I'm, I'm guessing many of you are thinking right now, Efren, that's a simple fix. Just ask your parents to buy you new glasses. Wrong. Here's why. You'd think that by the way parents talk to their kids about how much glasses talk, or cost, they would be worth $1,000. Which is exactly what I thought. So, I wasn't telling them that I broke my glasses. And secondly, like I said before, I am a master at turning a simple fix into a long-lasting problem. So then, what did I do? I spent all of my middle school years, three full years to be exact, without glasses. Uh, As you can see on this screen, you'll see these two pictures. This is basically what I saw throughout my whole middle school years. Um, sitting in front of class, squinting as hard as I could. I wasn't uh, trying to be a grade-A student. I was just trying to see. Um, And then playing sports with terrible depth perception, not knowing where to shoot the ball. Um, And then staring at my friends as hard as I could to figure out which one was who. And my guess is that many of us in this room may feel like that is our vision when we talk about God and his supernatural work. We hear, yes, we hear the amazing stories about miracles, healings, and God's presence secondhand. and although we get glimpses of that and even subtle experiences, many of us, when we talk about the supernatural work of the unseen realms, our vision of its reality is often blurred or even non-existent. And here's the question many of us are asking. So is the problem that God is not revealing himself to us or that I'm simply unaware? And that's the question I wanna tackle this morning And as we continue in our sermon series, Realms of Glory, I would like to start where Matthew begins in his narrative with Joseph. The story of Joseph serves for us as an example to know that God is always constantly working behind the scenes, and always inviting us to see and to experience what he is doing and what at first seems hidden. So if you would, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 18. I won't read all of this section that you see up there, um, but I'll make notes as we go along. Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We'll skip to all the way to chapter 2, verse 9. And by this point, we have received the prophecy of Uh, Emmanuel, God with us, and also the story of the Magi meeting with Herod and looking for Jesus. Verse nine, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It was ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and mire. When it was the time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. We're going to skip to verse 16. And by this point, Joseph and his family have escaped to Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old and under, based on the wise man's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mornings. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for their For they are dead. We'll skip to verse 21. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in the town called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what the prophets has said. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Through Matthew's storytelling, we see that we see that, like a brilliant conductor, God is is masterfully guiding this symphony of his plan. Angels, Magi, a humble family from Nazareth, all partnering with God to bring about the Child of Salvation. And in this process, we see Joseph's eyes slowly being unveiled to God's activity. And in this message, we'll see how God's intervention—God—we'll see God's intervention as Joseph's invitation to trust and God's protection as Joseph's call to faithful movement. So let's begin first, divine intervention. Joseph's invitation to trust and experience God's transcendence. Now first, consider with me how much trust is required by Joseph in this story throughout. For one, Joseph is asked to marry, or continue in a marriage when all points lead to infidelity. Next, he's asked to travel 400 plus miles to Egypt to escape Herod's threat, only to travel that same distance back again, and then some to a small town known as Nazareth. It's not only the type of obedience this demands, but also the duration of it. We know that this isn't simply just two days. 400 miles is a lot to travel. Now, pause with me. Wouldn't it be fair? Wouldn't it be fair for us to assume that Joseph doubted what he saw? But he doesn't. And the angel states, do not be afraid. And Joseph trusted. Here's another important important note to address, is how God chooses to reveal himself to the Magi and Joseph. This uh, common appearance was not in the light of day for everyone to see, for multiple witnesses to affirm what they saw, but it was actually in a dream. We see this in verse 20 in chapter one, chapter two, 12, 13, 19, and 22. It's all throughout the story. Individual, now, individuals receiving divine messages, both in Greek and Jewish culture, was not novel to its time. But still, people realized that not all dreams were divine messages. Some dismissed them altogether, while others held space for even deceptive dreams. And I'm sure many of us in this room, we often dismiss our own dreams. Did I just eat a bad burrito? Did I have a fever dream? Or do I have a nightmare disorder? And I imagine similar ideas could have clouded the young Joseph's mind at this moment. So why would God choose to reveal his plan via something that could otherwise be scrutinized and criticized? Consider with me this theory. We all love to sleep and we all have a routine of our sleep. On the one hand, we act to make ourselves go to sleep, taking up evening rituals of quietness, stillness, and minimal distractions. In this preparation, we sense sleep's slow descent in a quiet and dark room, falling into a posture that our bodies have rehearsed time and time again. And in the quiet, we breathe. As we await sleep's gentle arrival. And some of you may be sleeping right now. (laughs) May I suggest that this is quite possibly the best place for God to speak. Undistracted, present in the moment, with eyes to hear, or with, with, eyes, with ears to hear, and eyes to see. Not only that, but in the rhythm of our dreams, we're more open to the wonder that God has for us. And we're not constrained to, to a naturalistic explanation. Let me give you another, another example that you might relate to. Um, You can see this picture above. Uh, It's a picture of the stars in Mount Zion. Mount Zion is, for me, one of my favorite places to go. And I'm sure many of us have had moments where we've gone camping, on nature walks, and have just seen this beautiful sight. It's mesmerizing, it's inspiring, and it's also humbling. And here's the thing, for most of us who live in the city, we have to drive 50 miles plus in order to experience this beautiful scenery. And many of us do on vacation in the summers. We'll drive as far as we can to see something beautiful like this. And the reason we have to is the sky isn't filtered through electric light. And also, it's away from the noise, the the busyness and hustle Of the city. It's a place to relax and to feel the serenity. Places like this often allow me to enter into a spiritual space of reflection, gratitude, and praise. It's as if my body is way more equipped to see and to hear and to receive what God has for me. So why does this generally happen in places like this? I believe it's because we are undistracted in our mind, soul, and body. We are more willing to receive what God has for us at that present moment. And we are also more open to the wonder of God working in our midst, which means the resolve of our dim perception is an undistracted heart to hear and trust God's voice and God's presence. It may be important for you to ask, what are those distractions, other voices that are muffling God's voice for you? We move on to that next point, divine protection, Joseph's journey to move in light of God's promise. As the story continues, we sit in the tension between the collision of two kingdoms, both Herod and Jesus coming together. Herod, full of paranoia, makes every effort to maintain his power by searching for infant Jesus. And in this scene, God seeks to use both Joseph and the Magi as instruments to protect and progress his own plan. But with one stipulation, movement movement they are asked to literally move and a far distance first the magi who are presumably members of the royal court in babylon ironically it is these gentile astrologers an interpreter of dreams who travel the farthest to welcome and see the king of the jews The response to the dream allows Herod to be delayed and for him to to veer off, for them to trail back home rather than back to Jerusalem. And second, in chapter 2, verse 14 and 19, we see that Joseph spares no expense to leave as soon as he receives the vision. Verse 14 tells us that immediately Joseph receives the vision and he moves in the night, in the danger of the night. He gathers his family, Mary and newborn Jesus. All, and what we see here is like God, the brilliant conductor is moving all these parts, orchestrating the angels, the magi, Joseph's family, all to protect the newborn king. Faithful movement is what all these characters do in this story. But here's an interesting note to to remember. It is only in hindsight that we can see these things. It is only in hindsight that Joseph is able to say God was right. In light of this, we as readers are somewhat privileged throughout the whole story as Matthew makes these Old Testament connections to Scripture. God's point of view, basically. Notice how the text constantly reframes these narrative events in light of the Old Testament prophecies at each turn. Jesus is the son of Emmanuel, Isaiah seven fourteen. Jesus, the long-awaited shepherd born in Bethlehem, has arrived, fulfilling Micah 2 and 2 Samuel 5, 2. And like Israel, liberated from the enslavement of Egypt and exile so does God call Jesus out of exile. Hosea 11:1. And lastly, much like Rachel figuratively weeping for her children, Israel, in exile, so does she weep for the children massacred under Herod's commands. Jeremiah 31, 15. The pattern seems quite clear for Matthew to point us to. Jesus is the new Israel. And like a conductor, God is masterfully working to make all these scriptures come to light. And more importantly, it's as if Matthew constantly wants to remind us that God is always moving and active in the story that is unfolding before your very eyes. And again, It's only in hindsight that we can see the fulfillment of these scriptures. It's only in the Magi and Joseph's movement that they are able to see the fulfillment of God's plan. And I'm sure many of us in this room have had similar promptings to literally go some other location that we probably don't want to go to. But we really believe that God is the one directing our steps. And one thing I remember is going to, uh, having a similar, similar feeling when I was called to go to Dallas, Texas. No one wants to go there, right? I want to stay in the Northwest. Um, but I was, I was told by God that I needed to go to Dallas, Texas to go to seminary. And by this point in my adulthood, I had no money. Um, I sold my car, had no connections and no plans really to know what to do once I got there. But yet, I moved because I felt God call me. All I had was a small backpack, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen those army backpacks before, but that's all I had. I sold everything I had, and all I had were those two bags. And as soon as I get there, to get from the airport to our student housing, student apartments for seminary students, I, I'm told by the reception, receptionist that my apartment wouldn't be ready for another couple of hours. So here I am with this huge long bag and my, um, my backpack and also just a little blanket for me to have just to comfort me in this time. <laughs> and I'm told by the receptionist, yeah, your, your room's not going to be ready for another two hours. And I'm just sitting there and I just think in my mind, oh my gosh, I just made the biggest mistake of my life. I don't even have a bed to sleep on. The floors in this apartment complex are concrete. I don't have plates to eat on. And this doubt just starts to spiral, spiral, and spiral. And I just think, man, you just made the wrong call. And so in order to relieve my anxiety, grab my backpack, my blanket, and my bigger backpack, and I'm just walking around the campus. And um, and as I'm walking around the campus, I see some of the professors and scholars that I've often admired. And for me, that's, I'm, I'm a bit of a fangirl when it comes to that, as I see them. So my st- stress starts to relieve some bit. But it wasn't until I walked into this library, um, and you can see a picture of it right here, and I enter this library, and obviously everyone's looking at me. I don't look normal to anyone with a blanket, just an adult, just walking in. And I just sensed this huge weight lifted off my shoulders, which is ironic because I was lifting some heavy backpack in, on my back. And I just feel the sense of peace and calm and affirmation of God's voice telling me, this is where you're supposed to be. Which quite prophetically, this is where I spent most of my weekends. And it was as simple as that but in order for me to see and experience it, I needed to fly a couple thousand miles to see what God was saying. The resolve of our dim perception is faithful movement. So then, what is the movement God is inviting you to in order to see his transcendence? So then how does this help us unveil the unseen activity of God's work, supernatural work? You know, like, like many of us, uh, like me with my glasses, uh, it was about getting new frames. To consider with me um, this idea. Here at Salem Alliance, we often use this idea of identifying Kairos moments. In Greek, uh, there's actually two words for time. Kronos and kairos. Kronos meaning sequential, um, chronological time, where kairos means appointed and opportune time. Often the Gospels and New Testament scriptures would use this word um, and develop this word as God's activity. And to put it another way, um, kairos is the space where God's activity and our spiritual awareness meet. Let me say that one more time. God, Kairos is the space where God's activity and our spiritual awareness meet. And so as a, as a helpful tool, uh, think about these questions to identify Kairos moments. And here at Salem Alliance, we're always under the assumption that God is always moving and active and always inviting us to see and experience it. So as you think about these reflective prompts to identify Kairos moments for yourself, remember, how has God shown his work in my past? Discernment, how is God working in my life right now? And movement, how does God want me to respond in light of this? You see, the story of Joseph allows us to hear God's subtle invitation to experience and see his transcendence. God doesn't just want to give you monumental moments, but to learn the rhythms of detecting his presence and activity, even in the ordinary. And I'm sure many of you, like me, um, have always wanted to be in the front row of God's supernatural activity where we experience something that's undeniable, unexplainable, miraculous. We all, at some level, want this. You know, stories like the one Rob shared with his DMV experience with an angel, or even his healing of his knee. And I'm sure many of you have similar stories like that. And I believe for myself, who I haven't necessarily been the main recipient of something like this, I believe God will honor that. And for many of you, I believe God will honor that too. But in the last couple of years, I've felt this God working in my soul about reframing my perspective. Much like my glasses, it seems that, they, that the way to see God's activity was actually there all along. A solution to my dim perception has always been there. It wasn't that I had been missing out but that I was simply unaware. So in the last couple of years, one of my spiritual mentors um, challenged me to assume that God is actually always in your presence and in your midst. So instead of praying a prayer of more bigger moments, monumental moments, pray that you may have eyes to see. Part of this journey for myself has been reading liturgical prayers every morning kind of a a stubborn uh, posture to hear, to say that, God, I know you are here, and I need to see you. And I have two moments that kind of solidified what my spiritual mentor meant by this. One was simply around a Christmas table. This is, for uh, Mexicans, this is what a Christmas table looks like, which I'm Mexican, by the way. Um, and I'm just sitting there in the dinner table and it's just an ordinary Christmas dinner. But I'm looking at each of my family members and I'm just welting up with a little bit of tear and just joy because I know my brothers, my sisters, my mother, my, mother, my father's stories. I know the joys and the, and the sadness that we've experienced that year. The bond that we have. And here we all are enjoying each other's company. And I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude. We're eating tamales, we're drinking champurado, we're playing loteria, and for me, it's undeniable that God is here, and it's not just because of the tamales. (laughs) And it's interesting that everything I am interpreting in the ordinary, for me, is in fact supernatural. And again, I have another moment. Uh, I took a soul care day to Mount Angel Seminary, and this is their chapel. Um, And throughout that evening, spending over there, I was journaling just kind of the changes that I've experienced in the last year. And some of the things I've been praying for that came to fruition. I had an amazing job. Uh, I had been here for at least a year. Uh, Friends, church family, and what's now a new lovely fiance. And immediately again... I'm, I'm welting. I'm feeling a sense of gratitude overtake not just my tears, but my body. And I just know God is here. And you know what's interesting is that God has always been here. So here's my prayer for us, church family. May God grant us more monumental moments Yes, but also, may we be able to see the supernatural in the ordinary. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may we be aware and discerning of your constant activity. Would you train and form and mold our hearts to discern the workings of your spirit. God, would you grant us big moments, but would you grant us eyes to see how you are working in the small moments? And would you instill in us a constant posture of reflection, gratitude, and praise that you are always here and that you are Emmanuel, God with us, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.